I got a text from Dave Ulrich about uh, three hours ago. Um, we just sent a team of 10 men down to Texas. Um, they left early yesterday morning. Uh, they arrived early this morning in Beaumont, Texas. They'll be there for a day or two and then moving down to Corpus Christi and working out of the uh, church down there. And so if you'd pray for them, I know they would appreciate that. Uh, they're going to be uh, doing all kinds of stuff. They might be on roofs. They might be tearing out drywall. Uh, who knows? Uh, we're st still hoping to send another team down to Texas yet this year, um, maybe uh, late November, early December. Uh, I need a team leader for that. If you would be interested in, in uh, leading that team down, uh, just contact me. Um, we're tentatively scheduled to take another team down in January and one in mid-March as well. So roughly every other month we'd like to send some teams. Uh, probably going to be getting word at some point on what we might be able to do in places like Puerto Rico. Uh, Crisis Response, which is an arm of the Evangelical Free Church. Uh, Mission is, uh, is working in a variety of those places. We have contacts in Mexico City as well. Uh, so there could be some uh, potential trips to, to Mexico to help out. There's so much work. I mean, it's just been a battering ram, hasn't it, as you listen to the news and what all's happening in the Caribbean and, and Mexico and so forth. And, um, you know, maybe you can't go on a work trip like that, but if think about people there. Um, utilize the, the news that you see as um, kind of an engine for your prayers. Um, you can go in your prayers places that you can't go in your body. And so as we try to hold those people up to the, to the Lord. Well, we've been uh, memorizing scripture here at Keystone for the last year, uh, gospel-shaped verses. And so it's that time to work on uh, our verse from Revelation. So if you want to stand to your feet, if you're visiting with us today, uh, what we do is uh, we put the scripture up on the, uh, on the screen. We go through it once, and then we take it off the screen and uh, try to do it from memory. So we're learning a new passage each month. So this will be the last time for this passage since next week will be October already. Now, if, uh, if you don't know the verse and you're visiting with us, uh, nobody's going to check you or grade you on this. Uh, just listen to all the people around you who have it memorized by now. Yeah, I get an amen on that. <laughs> all right. What we do is uh, say the text first, then read through it, and then the text again to kind of help seat that in our minds. And then we'll do that by memory. Ready? Revelation 1, 5b to 6. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power. Revelation 1, 5b to 6. All right, Shane, do the dirty work. You ready? Revelation 1, 5b to 6. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory, power to him forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1, 5b to 6. This is the word of God. You may be seated. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're in chapter 8 this morning, taking a break for us from our study in the book of Luke. And um, for the next three weeks, well, actually four weeks, we're going to focus on evangelism. Uh, this is kind of a run-up to uh, evangelism and apologetics conference we're having here October 13th through 15th. 
with Dr. Mark Farnham from Lancaster Bible College. And uh, I want to encourage you to sign up for that. <clears throat> By the way, the, uh, the banners that you saw when you came in this morning in the lobbies, uh, there is a date on there that's wrong. Um, you have until next Sunday to sign up for the early bird pricing. Uh, it says today is the end, but you have another week, partly because our delay in getting out the promotional stuff. Um, this is designed to help you be a more equipped uh, witness for Jesus Christ. And um, it's going to be not just an a, a information dump. Uh, Mark is going to be here with his uh, adult son. They'll be doing some role-playing and evangelism situations and so forth. Uh, Friday night session, Saturday morning, two sessions, and then one Saturday night. And then Mark will be preaching here Sunday morning. And then in the evening, he'll be speaking to our senior and um, junior high students. And I want to encourage you to sign up for that. We try to make it really affordable, even though it's not cheap to have uh, $10 a person, $15 a couple, and uh, $20 a family. For, uh, that includes any number of children, 12 and older. And as I said last Sunday, if you, you can't swing the 10 bucks, you come and see me. I will personally pay your way because it's, I think it's going to be so valuable. So the next three uh, Sundays, Pastor Brandon and I are going to be talking about the life of, uh, the life of a fisherman. Uh, if you remember Jesus when he came uh, and recruited a number of fishermen to be his disciples, he said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishy, fishers of men. I'll teach you how to fish for people. And so we want to talk about that uh, from a number of angles these next uh, couple of weeks. Next week I'm talking about uh, evangelism on purpose. The following week, Pastor Brandon is going to talk about prayer when it comes to evangelism. Today we want to talk about getting into position. And what I mean by that is getting, uh, getting around non-Christians uh, because it's really tough to tell people about Jesus Christ when we're not around them. And I don't know about you, but especially as a pastor, I find out it's really, really difficult to do that. I spend about 50-some uh, hours a week around a lot of Christians. And when I'm off work, I'm spending more time around Christian, uh, even people outside of the church, oftentimes Christian friends. And uh, it's, it's a real problem to be in this Christian bubble, in this holy huddle. It's a problem to do the work of evangelism that God calls us to do. And so this morning I want to just uh, challenge all of us as believers to think about how it might be that we can do a better job of get, uh, mixing it up with unbelievers, uh, building relationships with unbelievers, getting around unbelievers. Um, Tom Rainer is uh, head of LifeWay, CEO of LifeWay uh, Resources, which is the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And... Uh, also former pastor, former uh, bank vice president, but he also has a research group. And he, has, he and his team ha have spent thousands and thousands of hours interviewing non-Christians, thousands of non-Christians over the years. And at the end of last year, he wrote a blog post on what non-Christians think about Christians. Now, I think what you're about to hear is going to surprise some of you. It really surprised me. Um, because we hear press reports and so forth, just the, the rumor mill and the culture that people who are not Christians really don't think much of people who are. They don't like them very much. Some of this data is startling. In fact, Tom says that, um, he said that one survey that we did, it, only 5% of the non-Christians we talked, <clears throat> excuse me, non-Christians we talked to had a bad taste in their mouth about Christians. 
And these are, uh, this blog post was from the end of last year. I'm just going to read five of the seven points he made in them about what non-Christians really think because these five are pertinent for our thoughts about um, rubbing shoulders with unbelievers and how receptive they might be to some things we would say to them or relationships we try to build with them. <clears throat> Each of these five points are a summary statement, and then I'm going to read some things that are actual quotes from uh, unbelievers. I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. How many of us would think that? We're like, they wouldn't want to be around us, would they? We don't do the same things that they do. We don't talk the same ways that they talk. We don't value the same things that they value. And yet here, they're hearing in general from unbelievers, they'd like to have a friendship with a Christian. <clears throat> this is a quote. I'm really interested in what they believe and how they carry out their beliefs. I wish I could find a Christian who would be willing to spend some time with me. And you think about that. Think about the people that you know that don't know Christ. Would that notion have ever crossed your mind that they might actually want to have a relationship with you? Second, I would like to learn about, <clears throat> excuse me, I would like to learn about the Bible from a Christian. I would like to learn, really? You want to know about the Bible? Yeah, I would like to learn about the Bible from a Christian. <clears throat> Again, a quote. The Bible really fascinates me, but I don't want to go to a stuffy and legalistic church to learn about it. It would be nice if a Christian invited me to study the Bible in his home or at a place like Starbucks. Now, personally, I don't know a lot of stuffy legalistic churches anymore. I think um, churches have really worked on that kind of um, impression or image that uh, people have outside of the church. But people, who, obviously, people who don't go to church, who aren't part of a church, uh, still have a perception that's created by something, uh, whether it's legit or not. And so <clears throat> here at Keystone, we ha kind of have the understanding and mentality that we think is biblical, that it's not our job to draw people into the church. I, I, don't misunderstand me. I hope that you think it's good and right to invite people to church. But ultimately, it's not our job to get them into the church. It's our jobs for us to leave the church and invade the world. And so, by and large, we're going to be ambassadors of Christ, not here on a Sunday morning, but by and large in the world in which we live. Third, I wish I could learn to be a better husband, wife, dad, mom, etc., from a Christian. And here's a quote. My wife is threatening to divorce me, and I think she means it this time. My neighbor is a Christian, and he seems to have it together. I am swallowing my pride and asking him to help me. And I wonder how many people who are not Christians would ever get to that point. At least if they didn't have a relationship with a non-Christian. In other words, the relationships open the doors for these kinds of would you, could you to me. <clears throat> Fourth. Some Christians try to act like they have no problems. Now, this is, this is an important one. Some Christians try to act like they have no problems. I, I, I think sometimes we have the idea that we have to communicate or signal to unbelievers that we have it all together so that they're interested in our faith. I, I suspect that the opposite is probably true. In other words, people are not really interested in your faith if they think that you're, you're some sort of plastic person that they could never, ever be. Here's a quote. 
Harriet works in my department. She's one of those Christians who seems to have a mask on. I would respect her more if she didn't put on such an act. I know better. There's the thing. If we portray ourselves as having it all together, most people are not convinced by that. They know better. They can see enough through the sham so that if we try to um, pretend that everything is okay in our lives, they're going to see through it. And then they're, one, then they're going to ask themselves, why is he or she faking this? Last one. I wish a Christian would take me to his or her church. That might be a surprise too. I really would like, this is a quote, I really <clears throat> would like to visit a church, but I'm not particularly comfortable going by myself. What is weird is that I'm 32 years old and I've never had a Christian invite me to church in my entire life. Wow. Uh, statistics, I've been trying to find updated data on this and can't. But I know about 20 years ago, the statistics were that 25% of unbelievers said that if they were invited to church, to a church service, they would go. So one out of, one out of four. It might not be the greatest odds, but hey, it beats zero out of 100. All right. Now, Acts chapter 8, we are going to get to the scripture here. Acts chapter 8, beginning verse 26. Story about Philip. And uh, I love the story about Philip. He appears first in Acts chapter 6. He is uh, appointed to carry out a, a um, um, distribution problem, to solve a distribution problem at the church. Uh, we think these are the first deacons. Uh, they're to make sure that all the widows in the church get their fair share of rations. That was his first job. And then boom, 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 boom. Just like that, he's moved from deacon to now an evangelist. He evangelizes Samaria. And then we get to this really interesting incident in verse 26. And uh, I want to try and make a couple of points from it uh, after we're done. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he, so he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, queen of Ethiopia. Now, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seating in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, he clearly wasn't a Jew, being an Ethiopian, but he was probably a convert to Judaism. And he's got the book, he's got the scroll of Isaiah that he's reading. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch asked, look, there's some water. 
why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north in the town, at the town of Azotus. And he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Father, I pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to um, speak to us this morning uh, through the word of God that might drag us just a little bit further down the road in being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just a church attender. That might take us just a little bit further into the world uh, to which you've sent us. That might um, dismantle just a little bit more our insecurity and uncertainties and fears when it comes to um, being with and being friends with people who don't know Christ. That it might take us just a little bit further down the road of confidence, not in our own abilities, but in your power and in your grace to work in the lives of people before, during, and after we get to talk to them about Jesus. And, and I pray, on the other hand, against the enemy who, <laughs> who very much does not want us to go further down these roads who is determined to silence and cripple and um, hold in fear. Whether it's that we can't share the gospel effectively, that we won't know the right answers when the questions are posed to us, that, that we'll get in a, a situation with an unbeliever where they're wanting us to do things we don't want to and we're scared, to, we're scared, we're not, not going to have the courage to say, I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I represent Christ. We're just afraid of the awkward moments. And I know the enemy wants to enslave us in those kinds of fears and anxieties. He does not have your best interests at heart. He does not have our best interests at heart. And he for sure does not have the best interests at heart of those who don't yet know Christ. And so we pray that you would muzzle him and bind him this morning. And those obstacles that do um, loom large in our lives when it comes to thinking about speaking for Jesus, would you just one by one start to dismantle them this morning and instead deepen our love for Christ, our love for the gospel, and ultimately our love for lost people that we would, we would see the gospel in such a way that we would cherish it with much joy, realizing it, it, it has been the means by which we have been dragged, dragged across the line from death to life. It's been the means by which we have been um, brought out of darkness into life so that we cannot not share this with other people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, just let me reiterate, I don't think the normal way evangelism is done today is to expect unbelievers to flock to our churches. Um, again, I, I hope that you will invite people to um, your church service. And if you're part of another church, that you will invite people to accompany you to your church service. 
but that you not think this is the normal way it happens. Now, I understand there are attractional churches that have this as a model, and, and I don't fault them for trying to get the word out. We just understand here at Keystone that if you're going to um, kind of prepare the Sunday morning service around unbelievers, that there are some compromises you have to make with the believing audience, and that discipleship's not going to happen very uh, easily with that mixed crowd and crafting a service for that mixed crowd. And besides, what you end up with is one evangelist per church. In other words, the preacher will drag the people to the church and that preacher will convey the gospel and then hopefully people get saved and our job's just to invite. Uh, we understand the call of the gospel to share the gospel is on all of us, not just the preacher. So it's, it's on you. And it's not primarily to be done in a two-hour span on a Sunday morning, but the, the remaining 166 hours of the week where you and I go into our spheres of influence and rub shoulders with the people that need the gospel. Uh, you think about it from this way. Did God expect you and I to invade heaven so that we might get the gospel? No. He sent Jesus to where the need was. He sent Jesus into the world where the need lay. Tom Rainer says, the next time a church member says, hey, they know where we are. They can come here if they want to. He says, you rebuke him. Uh, Great Commission Christianity is about going. It's not y'all come. And Rainier's a southern, southerner. That's why he would say it that way. Now let's look at our passage here. Let me just have us think about some of the particulars in it for a minute. Uh, first of all, about I want you to think that before you get to fishing as a Christian, God is already going fishing. Before you get to fishing as a Christian, God is already going fishing. In other words, he's already laying the groundwork. Luke chapter 19, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 10, says about Jesus... The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. In other words, God is already, you think about this, the people that God sends you to, he has already been working in their lives to, to lay a groundwork. There's so much we understand from Scripture that God is already doing long before people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We understand, and I understand not all Christians believe this, but we understand from the New Testament, even the Old Testament, that God chooses people to come to faith in Christ, that he elects them. So long before they ever come around to thinking about, I wonder if I should uh, trust Christ, whether that's a good, good move. God has already been doing some background work. The Bible also tells us that he convicts us of our guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment, John chapter 16. In other words, he, if, you, if you're not a, let me just say this to you, if you're not a Christian now, do you remember recently, maybe just in the past six weeks, where you did something, you said something, and there was some sort of inner um, problem with that? You thought, eh, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. On the one hand, you have a conscience that God has already placed in you to serve as kind of a moral compass. And it's telling you things about what you say and what you do and what you don't say and what you don't do. So you have this conscience, but God himself is also working on you by the Holy Spirit to convict you of guilt regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's before you ever come to Christ. 
God, it's, the Bible says that God even calls us to himself before we come to Christ. Now, if you are uh, thinking about sharing the gospel with someone, shouldn't that give you great hope and encouragement? It doesn't, at the end of the day, depend on how good you are at this calling. It doesn't depend on whether or not you have just the right verse or the almost wrong verse that you present to them. It doesn't matter whether ultimately whether you made a mistake in a relationship with someone who doesn't know Christ. What matters ultimately is the work that God is doing in the person's life. Because you and I, you think about it. If you um, have a task that you have for yourself. Right now, my wife and I are restaining our pergola. Now, a pergola is an awful thing to paint or stain. There are so many corners, intricacies. You know, there's, there's no walls. It's posts and then these lattices and joists that are all intertwined. And you paint a little bit here and then you paint a little bit here and a little bit there. And I just at the point, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, we're about two-fifths of the way done with it. I'm just like, I said to Betty the other night, let's just forget it. We'll, we'll finish it next, next summer. She goes, no, we're finishing it this year. So we're going to finish it this year. <laughs> She's in Virginia right now. I can get away with this. But you and I, we have tasks for ourselves, and we might get it done. We might not get it done. We might get it done well. We might get it done poorly. When God goes to work, he's going to finish what he set out to do. Right? Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When God sets about to do something, he always succeeds. And that should give you great confidence and me great confidence when we answer the call to be ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this needy world. Because what's interesting, I, I think about this sometimes. You ever fantasize, what if you were God? What would you do? How would you go about things? I do a lot of things a lot differently than God does. Man, I would do some things different. And the first thing I would do is not depend on people like me. I mean, that's just a bad risk in my opinion. And yet this is what he does. God, God has a plan to distribute the gospel to the world. Seven plus billion people. And you know, you know whose shoulders he's, he's placing that confidence in? Yours and mine. He uses people. God could go like that, and everybody knows about Jesus. And he looks around and says, no, you, you're, my, you're where I place my hope. If, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Let me take you to Romans chapter uh, 10. Romans 10, uh, beginning verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Not if you have a right pedigree, not if you have the right kind of background, not if you know the right person, not if you have the right kind of job, not if you have the right kind of income. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then there's some clarifications. Verse 14. 
But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. You ever read that verse and say, man, my feet are really ugly. Are your feet beautiful? I'm, I'm serious about that. You would not want to see my feet, especially in the winter. You know, get that hard callus rim around the edge of your heel, and you can kind of pick pieces off when you're watching TV. You don't have anything to do. And some of our toes grow in strange ways. I have one that goes, you know, heads east when it should be head north. And yet he says the feet of the people who take the good news to the world, doesn't matter what they look like. They're beautiful. Why? Because the world needs to hear this message. And God's banking on us. But how are, they going, how are these people who, who need Jesus to trust in him apart from those who have the message already? Listen, we, all of us here, we, we work at different jobs, we go to different schools, we live in different neighborhoods. God has sovereignly placed us in different extended families. Do you think any of that is by accident? Is it an accident that I live at 52 Poplar Street in the town of Intercourse? Just happenstance? I have a route that I, several months ago, decided I was going to start prayer walking. And I go out my driveway, turn left, and then the stop sign, turn left, stop sign, turn left, and I walk about a quarter mile, and I come back. And there's a, a Muslim family here that I pray for. And there's a, a family here behind us that I, I pray for that need Jesus. And, and then the gay couple here that I pray for. And this lady who's living alone and old and probably shouldn't be living on her own. And pray for, and pray, pray for, and pray for, pray for. God has me at 52 Poplar Street for a reason. And where you live... It's not an accident. And the people you work with, they're not there by chance. The people you play on the team with, the people you go to school with, every, every, listen, everybody you meet, God has you meeting on purpose. Have you thought about that in the last week when you punched in have you thought about that in the last week when you got on the school bus? Have you thought about that when you were with your brother-in-law and your sister that don't know Jesus? And I'm, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, okay, every time you get on the school bus or get with an extended family member that you recite the gospel to them. I'm a big believer 
in taking that whole thing slow because we sometimes think that the goal is to simply back the truck up and dump information on them. Make no mistake about it. Coming to Jesus is typically a relational thing, not exclusively, but typically. And that little adage that people don't want to know and don't care to what you know until they know you care, there's a lot of truth to that when it comes to evangelism. Because I think in America, a lot of people simply believe that we as Christians, all we care about is notches on our gun, spiritual gun. In other words, that we just want a convert to brag about. And the, and the call of the scripture is to not just pass off informations, love people. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I want you to sell everything you have. And give it, you know, sell everything you have and then take the proceeds and give it to the poor. And man went away sorrowful because he had a lot of money and he didn't want to pay that high a price to follow Jesus. But I love the line in there. It says that when he was asking Jesus these questions, it says that Jesus looked at him and do you know what verb is? The verb is there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Listen, there are no wheels under the gospel you prepare if there's not love. That is the wrapping paper. It just doesn't work. I mean, the whole, ad, the whole advent of the, the gospel that we are to take in evangelism was sent to us in love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to the world. And that's the call that God has on our lives as well. So God's pursuing unbelievers before we ever get there. And so he wants us to be in positions uh, to be able to minister to those uh, unbelievers. Now, I, I, this is kind of a compressed story. This is a kind of a hit and miss, hit and run kind of evangelism encounter that I, I'm not really uh, promoting this morning, but I want you to see a couple of things in it that are true regardless of whether it's a hit and run encounter or a long relationship. By the way, wouldn't you love if the Holy Spirit came up to you and whispered into your ear, I want you to drive up to uh, Route 283 just outside of Mannheim and hang out there a little. Wouldn't you love if the Spirit did that to you? No, we're trying to read the tea leaves. Now, God, do you have any angels that could speak to me about that kind of thing? It's interesting. Philip's up in Samaria. Um, the geography is like this. Here's Samaria over here uh, north. Uh, northwest of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's down here. So this Ethiopian eunuch's down here. Philip's up here. God tells him to go down to the road down here that ro runs from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And do you notice there's no question that Philip asks the angel? Like, first of all, I'd want some ID. If I supposedly an angel's telling me instructions, I'd want some ID. And secondly, I'd want to know why. I got a really great mission field right here in Samaria right now. Why do you want me to go down here? He doesn't. He just obeys. Do you find yourself in post-evangelism um, county saying, whew, 
I really missed a golden opportunity there. You ever find yourself doing that? I missed a golden opportunity there. And, and I wonder sometimes if it's just that we are, it's not an, it's not an evangelism tactic. It's really, it's really a walk with Christ that is so fresh and so intimate and so um, ongoingly that our ears are on, our antennas up. We're, we're listening. That's not a, that's not a skill set. That's a, that's a kind of walk with Jesus that, that it's, it's more than I go to church on Sunday and I hear from, I hear from the preacher. No, I, I'm hearing from God day in and day out. I'm in the word. I'm, I'm on my knees. We're, we're having a, a reciprocal conversation uh, every day. I talk with my father every day. He talks with me every day through, through his word. That kind of relationship is what lays a foundation for us to be able to hear the Holy Spirit saying, go over and stand by that carriage. I want you to eat lunch today with this woman instead of that one. I know you had plans tonight to go over here, but I, I, you see what your neighbor is struggling with? I want you to go back there and offer to help him tonight. That doesn't come automatically. You, listen, if you have a shallow walk with Jesus Christ, you're never going to hear from the Spirit. That requires this ongoing, cultivated, nurtured walk with Jesus so that obedience is like that. So he goes down to this road, and now he sees this carriage over there. New marching orders. Now you're on the right road. Now I want you to go stand beside the carriage. And did you notice what he did do and what he didn't do when he got to the carriage? What he didn't do was say, I want to give you four spiritual laws. Or God, has a, a God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Or let me give you six verses of the Rome, book of Romans that are going to light up your life. Or here I have a napkin. I want to draw a bridge illustration on it for you. And don't misunderstand me. Those are good things at the appropriate time. You see, it, it's a magnificent expression of love and honor to ask the person who doesn't know Christ questions. And you remember, he went over to the carriage and he says, do you know what you're reading? Sometimes we take our information dump and we just give, give our best shot. We go away glowing that we've shared the gospel. Listen, our goal is not to share the gospel. Our goal is to see people come to Jesus Christ. And so far better for us to think well about and study well what is what will make that more likely? What's going to make it more likely if, if the people really th understand, believe that I care about them? Rather than dumping on them answers that we don't know, even know if they're uh, interested in yet, there might be some questions that they have before they get there that desperately need to be answered for them. Once they're out of the way, then the plan of a God in heaven who loves them gave Jesus for them might be of much greater interest. I, I just love that he's asking question. Now, God uses us as fishermen, as fisherwomen. He's not only the one doing the stuff behind the scene. 
And I, I want to just challenge you here this morning with a couple of things. One, that you inventory your heart. If, if you don't, I'm going to give you a little assignment in a couple of minutes, and we're way out of time, but I'm still going to have you do it. So get a piece of paper out a while, maybe the sermon notes you have. It's going to be a 60-second assignment. But in light of the need for us to be around unbelievers, we who have the gospel, I want you to do three things. One, inventory your heart. In other words, do you love God and his gospel and do you love unbelievers? Enough that you might even be willing to change some things in your life. When I was practicing my sermon here Friday, I just got so convicted. I stopped in the middle of it. I sat here on the front step and just started praying. I said, God, I, I've wrestled with this all my pastoral life. My, my world is so full of Christians. What needs to change in my life? So one, inventory your heart. Two, inventory your, con your connections. Inventory your connections. What I mean by that is are you, just, are you just connected with believers? And if that's the case, what needs to change? You know, if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy a new car, you don't go to the state park to do that. You're going to go to the used car lot. You go to the state park, you're going to picnic. If you need a job, you're not going to go to a restaurant to find a job. You're going to go to the, the, uh, the websites online that help connect employers with employees. So you can go to the restaurant if you need a waitress job. But you understand what I'm saying. If you want to, if you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, how, how's it going to happen in your life? If you're going to fish... You get your tackle box, your gear together, your rod together. You don't go out in the desert. You go to the river. You go to the stream. You go to the pond. What needs to change in your life in order to make connections with people that need the Savior? And the last thing, and I think this is a big deal. Inventory your heart. Inventory your connections. And third, inventory your time. It's all of your time wrapped up with unbelievers. All right, here's the assignment. I want you to write down on that piece of paper three people that you know well who don't know Christ. Not acquaintances. Three people that you know well who don't know Christ. 60 seconds. you don't have a pencil, write it on your mind. And if you struggled with that, just let that be a, some ammunition for praying and for thinking and soul searching. All right, I'm going to wrap up with this. Seven Simple Steps to Boost Evangelism by Rick Siegel. He's a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. Seven Simple Steps to Boost Evangelism. One, pray for the unbelievers in your life by name. Pray for the unbelievers in uh, your life by name. I'm, I'm convinced this is... Um, one of the most overlooked portions of our evangelism. 
um, just praying for people, power of uh, God's intervention. Second, be intentional in pursuing relationships and scheduling time with unbelievers. And uh, he writes, if you don't make engagement with unbelieving people a priority, your life will gravitate automatically toward the pleasures and the comforts of the church community cul-de-sac. <laughs> I like that, church community cul-de-sac. Third, don't withdraw from unbelieving family members. Lean in. Uh, I know that can be really difficult because they're so different from you and they, maybe they th think that you're the odd wad in the family, but don't withdraw from them. Lean, lean in. Again, no accidents. You're in that family for a reason. Four, love your neighbors. And we're talking about your actual neighbors now, people that you live near. Know your neighbors, help them, enjoy them. Be the epoxy that glues your neighbors into a neighborhood. Practice hospitality. Make your home a place that your neighbors associate with their love for each other. Five, appreciate your workplace as the best place. And what he means there is um, this is probably the, the most common place other than schools where we rub shoulders with people who don't know Christ. Six, harvest relationships from your children's activities. Uh, when our kids were in school, this is, this is the main place that we uh, made connections with people who didn't know Christ sitting in the stand at a soccer game, basketball game, um, going to choir, uh, to choir concerts and so forth. And then seventh, take up a new hobby, especially one shared in groups. In fact, this uh, message this week as I was preparing prompted me to get online and look at some art classes. Uh, my wife gave me a certificate about six, seven years ago for some art classes, and I could never find time to fit it into my schedule. And I thought, I, I just need to do that. I'd, I'd like to learn a few things, and that'd be a great opportunity to meet some new people that aren't necessarily church folks. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the call that's on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ to go into the whole world and preach the good news. And for some people, that means places like Costa Rica and Tanzania and Japan and, and um New Orleans, but for some of us, many of us, it means not going across the ocean, but across the street. It means going across the um, factory floor. It means going across uh, one office to another. And I think when we talk about evangelism, many of us feel frustrated. We feel like we don't do a great job. We, we feel like we forget about it. We feel like if we do get in this situation where we have the chance to talk to somebody about our Savior, that we do it poorly. Um, and so my prayer would be that you would give us the kind of faith in you that trusts evangelism not um, basically because of our own skills but because of your great power and your great love for lost people and that these weeks would be um, just an opportunity for your spirit to speak into our lives about uh, maybe it's something that needs to change or maybe just a learning um, learning some new things. Maybe it, it, we really need to do some soul searching on our knees with you about um, whether or not the gospel has really broken through in all of its glory to us. And maybe that's a reason where it's not just that big of a deal to us um, when we think about others who still need it. And so do some good surgical work in our souls, Lord, again, for your glory, our good, and the good of lost people. In Jesus' name, amen.